Hello, everybody. I am Father Peter Musk. And I am Scott Powell. And we are so happy that you've joined us today for the Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. We are the Lanky Guys. And Father Peter, I have to say Lent is looking good on you. You're lankier than I've seen in a while. <laughs> I do. Should I have said that? Is that yeah, weird? No, that's yeah, you're, not weird you're looking good. You're just looking fit. Except for I've had like three or four days of pure sugar consumption. Well, it takes a while to kick in before you can actually... <laughs> So you're still you're still good for a little while. Yeah, I I just have to say welcome everybody out of Lent into the holy season of Easter. Holy. So um, we inspired um someone to go to Easter the Easter vigil mass in more than twenty for the first time in more than twenty years. Really? Yeah, which is really cool. I thought, and she said that when she got there, they only did three of the seven Old Testament readings. No. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> so that stinks. But what are you going to do? Well, today we are in the second Sunday of Easter, also known as Divine Mercy Sunday. That's right. That is right. And um, today we start off in Acts. It's also the eighth day of the octave. Um, second Sunday of Easter, also known as Divine Mercy Sunday. Our first reading is actually not from the Old Testament, which is sort of uh, unusual. It's not unusual for the Easter season, though. No. This is fairly common. So our first reading is from Acts of the Apostles. And I, I believe, I want to say that in all three years cycle, the second Sunday of Easter is always from the New Testament. I, I have to go back and check on that, but I, I, it's, it's not unusual. So we're going from Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 35. And that takes us to the responsorial psalm. Which is a Psalm 118, Indeed. which is, our response is 18.1. Nope. Oh, I'm sorry. One eighteen one. Yeah, one eighteen one. Did I yeah. say eighteen one? Yeah, which that doesn't was, mean the, anything. Well, because it's almost a palindrome, but it kind of messed me up. Oh yeah, not quite. It's not palindromic. Okay, I, and then um, our we have um, you know two through four, thirteen through fifteen, twenty through to twenty four, and it's broken up into three or four strophes or whatever. Indeed, you better believe it is. I'm not going to mess with that. No, no. Parting it out. And that takes us to our second reading, which is from First John. The first letter of St. John, not the gospel. Yep. First um, John uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, all about love. Love, love reading. Love. And blood. Um, <laughs> and so, <laughs> I just figured I would throw that in there just to, just to keep you well, alive. That's true. And then, um, then we get into the gospel, mm. which is John chapter 20, mm. verses 19 to trece uno. 31. Yeah. Yep, that's it. Anyway, Acts of the Apostles, chapter 4, verse 32 through 35. The community of believers was of one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they had everything in common. With great power, the apostles bore witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great favor was accorded them all. There was no needy person among them. That's a pretty powerful line, I think. There was no needy person among them. For those who owned property or houses would sell them, bring the proceeds of the sale, and put them at the feet of the apostles, and they were distributed to each according to need. That is a passage that I think should disturb most people. Don't you? Well, th- yes and no. Yes and no. And yes I, and I no. mean that Be- with a nuance. Well, because the moment, it was like uh, I, there's two, two guys who were— um, who are coming into the church here, and they came up to me and they they asked me, you know, Father, like it says that uh, Saint Paul says that we have to have short hair because we're men. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, and and that's that's the moment right, you can right. say, okay, hold on, we're we're Christians. We don't have short hair, and we don't hold everything in common. And there are needy people. Among and Jesus us. didn't have short hair. And Jesus didn't have short hair. By the way, exactly. So you, you so you can look at that, and and so on a certain level, if I look at that, I say, oh yeah. I mean, like, gosh, I I don't hold everything in common. I mean, it's like I, now in a certain sense, I'm like, I have no problem you using my podcasting setup. Thanks, man. Yeah, you're welcome. You meaning me or you meaning all of our listeners? Oh, that's Come on a, over, everybody. Oh, that, that's true. <laughs> if anybody wants to start a podcast, why don't you come to my bedroom? And I mean, that, that like, well, that's no, I, basically I, I what know. this is. Yeah, it is. We're kind of- We're I mean, in your sitting room. Sitting room. Your I mean, parlor. My parlor. We're in the parlor. Yep. Okay, sorry. Continue. So uh, does that mean that is, that's what everybody has to do? That in right. fact, actually, you guys, let's just sell everything and put it in common and right. make the church distributors of it all. That's a bad idea. I don't think it's a good idea there. No, it's not a good idea. No. But. But. Okay. You give your butt and then I'll do my butt. That's <laughs> <laughs> fine. So um, we have to actually look and say, okay, is this a universal dictate or is it actually, is it for a particular reason? Mm-hmm. And that's actually where I'm really excited for you to elucidate me on this. Well, there, there's no dictate whatsoever i don't think it's simply saying this is what they did i mean it's it's more than anything else it's just recording historical fact there's no imperative that says you must do this or christians have to do this it simply says that they did and the, the problem so here's here's the problem we can look at this we we are prone to wanting to look at this in one of two ways um either either well, this is what the apostles did. Therefore, everybody has to sell everything they have. We have to have, you know, it's the, yeah, yeah. the political concept of distributism. You know, all, all these things. Um, conservatives are idiots because we need to distribute the wealth more. You know, da 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 da. We can make this a political thing that we have to in, institute these structures, which makes this happen. Right? That's the wrong way to look at it. We can also look at it the other way, though, and be like, well, this is just, you know, this doesn't mean we have to do this. This is just what they did. It's for a particular time and place. And I think that's the wrong way to look at it, too, because that makes it much more easy to just write it off and say, well, I don't have to worry about that. That's what they did then. We're in a different circumstance. And I don't think that's the right way to look at it either. What we have to do is say, okay, what well, does this actually say? Now, the problem is we can't read this passage and act like a political dictate that says, well, we need a distributive government that can help to do that. Now, you know, there's arguments, positive and negative, for distribution of wealth in different ways and government regulations. on that. There's, there's plenty of fine, interesting arguments for that. What this is saying is that the Christians decided on their own volition, I am going to share what I have. It's not a political dictate. It's not the King Herod said, okay, you have to distribute all of your wealth because of this. They say, no, this is actually what it means. And, and see, here, here's the fundamental thing. The early Christians, and we know this for a fact, the early Christians fully believed that Christ was going to return in their lifetime. And so for them, quite frankly, it didn't matter how big their house was. It didn't matter what kind of you know, how nice their chariot was that they drove, that they had, you know, a Lexus chariot or a Toyota chariot. It, it, it that, that, was, on, that, that was, was a soft, that was a soft humor. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even have MapQuest. <laughs> but it didn't matter because the things of this world were passing away because Christ was coming. And so it doesn't really matter if I have a bunch of wealth. And if there's somebody who is poor and who can't eat, then if I know Christ is coming and my wealth is really meaningless, I'm going to give it to them. Yeah. The problem is not that they were wrong about Jesus not returning in their lifetime. No, he didn't return in their lifetime. Um, but it's not simply enough to say that, well, they were just wrong, as some people accuse the early Christians and St. Paul, frankly, of. 
the reality is that Catholic teaching is that we are to always believe that Christ will come in our lifetime. We are to live as if Christ will come at any given moment. He hasn't for 2,000 years, but that's not to say he couldn't come today. I hope he lets us finish the podcast first, but he could come be good. this afternoon. He really could, and we should live in the expectation that he will. Yes. Now, as but. a pastor and as the father of a family, I, I have to also live in the the assumption that I, I still probably will have to care for my children tomorrow. So I probably shouldn't give away everything because I actually still do have rights and responsibilities. And Well, th- this is what I say. I say this. I say, I just said that three times, yeah. by the way. Three times. Well, it's very Trinitarian of you. Yes. We must live as if Jesus is coming back today and is if and if we had another 10,000 years of the church. Right. We must actually have a long view and a short view at the same moment. We have to hold them in tension. Yes. But but, but, but on a we, personal level what that means is that you shouldn't be attached to your stuff. That's all this is getting at is it, this the reason we're reading this passage in the octave of Easter is saying that look if you really believe that Jesus has risen from the dead, that he has conquered death, then you shouldn't be afraid. So, tiny anecdote. when Before I married Annie, obviously, <laughs> I thought I was called to be a Franciscan a priest or a brother. I, was, I thought I was called to be a CFR. So I went and stayed with these guys in the Bronx for a time, um, really tried to discern whether I was called to be a part of this. And one of the things that really attracted me about this order of Franciscan brothers and priests in the Bronx was that night a good friend who was uh, who is a part of their community, and he would say, you know, Scott, and he had this Long Island accent. He's like, Scott, you know, it's great. He's like, I get up every morning, I get off on my mat, which is on the floor. I look in the closet, and I'm like, well, do I wear the gray cassock today or the gray cassock today? He's like, I have two things that I own. I go out in the world, I go out and I minister to people. If I get mugged or if somebody tries to hold me up, I don't have a wallet, I don't have car keys, I don't own anything. He's like, so I can go out into the world in total freedom because I'm not afraid of anything. Yes, I'm not afraid of getting mugged, I'm not afraid of getting my car stolen, I'm not afraid that I have to hold on to all my stuff because I've given it all up and that makes me totally free to do whatever God wants me to do. And I so admire that freedom and I so... That was so attractive to me, this idea that I don't have to worry or care about these things. Now, I have a different vocation in life, and I do have a wife and a family to take care of. And so we do need things so that my kids are well-fed and well-taken care of. But at the same time, if (laughs) we just did our income taxes recently, you know, so I'm, I'm like, okay, well, these are the things. This is what we've made. You know, this is how God sort of blessed us. You know, this is good. I had a little bit of extra work. Things are things are good. God's blessing us. So what happens when... You know, there was a, a a family the other day that came in St. Tom's and they were like, we're in a bad way. We have a little baby. Um, will you help us with a hotel? What, what, do you, what do you do in that sort of situation? What do you do in a situation where God actually puts you face to face with having to separate yourself from your stuff? And that's really the moment of of truth. What are we going to do? Are we going to hold tight to our stuff? And again, you know, you see the guy on the side of the road or you see the guy at the at the stoplight and he's got the sign our temptation is to just look and be like, well, you know, they're probably going to use this for booze or they might use it on drugs, so I'm not going to give them any money. Yeah. And that becomes our license to do nothing. Yeah. So because they might misuse this money I might give them, I don't have to do anything because they're probably going to do this. And that's the problem, though. You don't necessarily have to give them the 20 in your wallet, but we do actually have to do something. We have to figure out some way to actually be like the apostles. And what the apostles are doing is going above and beyond 
human responsibilities. I mean, we don't have, we have a right to our stuff. I have a right to the money that I earn. I have a right to work hard and and appreciate the benefits that come from that. Yeah. What the Christian call is to go, what are you willing, what rights, what benefits that you have every right to are you willing to sacrifice? And that's different for everybody. It's different from, you know, CFR out in the Bronx. What he is actually free to sacrifice is different than what I'm free to sacrifice. Yes. But we have to sacrifice something. And if we sacrifice nothing... Then as St. Paul says in Philippians, I think we risk becoming enemies of the cross. Yes. Because we become comfortable Christians. Are we supposed to do exactly this? Not necessarily. Are some of us called to do this? Probably. Yep. And and that's the question is what are you what are we blessed to be able to sacrifice for the cause of Christ, who is risen from the dead, meaning that we don't need to worry about how God will provide for us any longer because he already has. I look at this and and I think that you're right on. I mean, how do we actually live in a sacrificial way? How do we actually be intentional? Mm. But I look at this, and these are people who know that everything's about to be destroyed around them, inclu- right. including their property, and right. that, that 70 AD is around the corner, and that the prophecies are like, this This ship is going down, and so you have to be intentional about getting yeah. free of it. Yeah. That's the other part. Yeah. And, and the question is, to what degree do we need to live the same way? Because the ship is, I mean, Christ is coming back. Yeah. And that's the that's the tension that we have to live in, is like you said. What did you say? We have to we have to assume the Christ is coming back today, but we have to plan on another ten thousand years of the church, right? Yes. And we have to hold those two things in tension, at all times. So how do you do that? Well, you need how a masseuse, you do it actually. You need a what? Masseuse. A, a masseuse because because <laughs> you're, you're kind of tense. You know, here you're we a are. little bit tense. But yeah. the key is that you're not allowed to do nothing. You're not allowed to read this and be like, well. That's for that's for a different time and different place. Or to think, well, that's the government's job, or it's the church's job, or it's the Vatican's <laughs> job, or it's Father Peter's job, right? Which is how we think about this, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's somebody else's responsibility to do this. It just makes me laugh. <laughs> but that's what we're not allowed to do. Nope. Other than that, it's up. To, I think it really is up to our discernment to figure out what God is asking of us in this particular sort of a thing. Yep. That was a long. Uh, that was a long first uh, reading. Let's and I don't go to feel the like song. I actually said anything. Yeah, you so. didn't. That's it's okay. <laughs> oh, shoot, <laughs> really? I've, I've been. You so, know, I'm already sensitive today. I've been so mean to you recently. Man. Like, no, dude, that was right on. <laughs> Thanks, Mommy Peter. You're welcome. All right, Psalm 118, uh, or uh, sometimes 117, depending yes, on depending how on you roll you... the dice. Well. whether you're using the Masoretic text or the Greek Septuagint text and uh, in this particular case we are using the Septuagint baby oh right no Septuagint no Masoretic Masoretic you know what Father Peter let's just talk about the song (laughs) give thanks to the Lord for he is good his love is everlasting dude Hesed 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 which um, can I say that like there is in in the bravery uh, that we pray five times a day Every once in a while, they'll throw... Oh, like, it is the Masoretic version. Sorry. Yes. The Hesed. They will throw the Hesed like, in in the midst of everything. So you'll do a line, and then you'll say Hesed. Line is mercy. You, you have forever. to say it like a cat spitting up a hairball. Hesed. Yeah, you're not doing it right. I know. I'm sorry. And then, it's not, and then it's not legitimate. It doesn't work. I know, man. I do it right. I, I'm totally legit, dog. Why you got to front up on me? I'm for real. Good to see you in 2003. Glad to have you back. <laughs> All right, anyway. <laughs> Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love is everlasting. 
Dude, the first it, the first strophe, I mean, what I'm watching is- Get your strophe it, on. We go, Israel say, Aaron say, those who fear the it's Lord say. It's a responsorial. It's a, it, it's a, and, and it's increasing in its scope. Mm, so you're seeing right. Israel bless, and then the house of Aaron bless, and then everyone bless. Yeah. Hmm. Which I just that is cool. It does build. You're right. It does. That wasn't what I was even looking at, but I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. What I was looking at was that two things. Number one, this is traditionally actually traditionally the church has seen this psalm as the res- not that they said it necessarily, but it's seen the the tone of the psalm as the response of the women to hearing that Jesus has risen on Easter Sunday. He is not here. The one that you're looking for, he is not here. He has been raised. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love is everlasting. You can almost picture this psalm on their lips as their response to the Easter message. And that's why the church wants us thinking about it now. But I was also thinking about how uh, the first reading is this group of people. It's their way of answering this. How do you give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love being everlasting? Well, the way we're going to give thanks to the Lord because he is good is to share all of our possessions and all of our wealth with those around us. Because again, the question that the psalm even poses to us, as well as the first reading, how do you give thanks to the Lord? Well, you don't simply give thanks to the Lord by sitting alone in your room saying, hey, thanks. That, that's actually not, a, not enough, right? No. You have, to sh- you have to do something. Our faith actually has to be attached to what we do. It's not the faith versus works. I mean, but faith is who we are. It is a part of our life. I was thinking the other day as we were going through the Easter vigil, mm-hmm. I was like, this and what we're doing is worthy of the 10 plagues uh, <laughs> that were imposed upon Pharaoh in Egypt. Interesting. Oh, you mean our, our world? Our, our, vi- our vigil, like to go and worship God in this way, in this level of remembrance. I thought... This is how much we are actually able to engage mm. this particular prayer. I mean, like, oh. think about that. That's kind of cool. I mean, because he says, let me go three days into the wilderness and worship. Mm. And, and and he's like, no. And I'm like, okay, are we going to go and be, you know, rock band USA? Like, are we going to go <laughs> play rock band? And like, and, and just be... Jesus is risen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's Crossing like the Red Sea. Dude, uh, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to derail you. <laughs> you you did. I, I mean, I it did. was Sorry. it was official, but it like just happened. Whereas whereas like no, okay, the Lord endures forever. And and I look at the Psalm 118 and I say, okay, the stone which the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. Mm. That is a refrain that we need to have in the heart of our hearts, the heart of hearts. Because Jesus was not expected to become the cornerstone of everything, and that's exactly how God works. So we were talking. Wait, what about did it. you just say? God is not expected to be the cornerstone of everything. I mean, Jesus, it, it, Jesus in, the, yeah. in the in the midst of this. I mean, yes. it, it, it's the same reason why we were talking at the end of the last yes. podcast about how how does he, Jesus want to do it? He wants to bring those whose testimony don't even matter to the world, yes. and that's the testimony yes. he wants to use. He's 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 like mic drop in your face, <laughs> boom. Hi, boom. How you like me now? So yeah, I, that's I just, good. I just think about Psalm, Psalm, uh, but I have no idea that connects the first reading. I think it didn't. I explain that. No, you didn't think so. I mean, you did. I thought the first reading, in my opinion, in my humble little opinion, uh-huh. is the church's way of giving thanks to the Lord for He is for He is good, oh, His okay. love and being yeah. everlasting. 
Oh, okay. Because they are they're being willing to give all of themselves. Well, and the point is, how do you give thanks to the Lord? Well, you have to do something. How do I show that I'm actually thankful for this? I mean, so if we're going back to thinking about the, if you're putting this in the context of the whole Easter season that we've been a part of, yep. the Easter vigil, right? Yep. Um, the Easter vigil is sort of, hmm, uh, well. I want to say that it's centered on the Exodus. I mean, I think it's safe to say the Christian story is centered on the Exodus. Right? Yes, I this think idea it is. of freedom from slavery, the exile when they were taken off into slavery again by Babylon and by Assyria. Jeremiah, for example, was was actually incredibly clear that the reason that they went back into exile by Babylon is because they didn't understand the Exodus in the first place. So, I mean, the idea was you remember the whole Jubilee year. Yeah, yeah. Jubilee is the key to everything here. Jubilee so, is the key to everything, period. So when they came out of the Exodus, the God, God told them that one of the ways I want you to live this out is by having this Sabbath year first and then the Jubilee year, which was this year that they were to set three things free. They were supposed to release all their slaves if they had any slaves. And slaves, remember, that wasn't an ethnic thing. Back in these days, it's a political or it's a financial thing. So if you're in debt, you might sell yourself into slavery. <laughs> Yes, oh. I did. <gasps> Father just threw a gummy bear at me. My favorite. Mm. I am releasing you from slavery. It's a really hard. You have oh, to let a it little bit old. stop it in, in your mouth. Oh, that's from last Easter. But <laughs> um, oh, boy. Um, yeah, so th- they had to release all slaves. All debt. All debt, and then give land back, back if someone had lost their land. Yep. And the reason that they had to do all those things was because in the Exodus— God freed them from slavery to the Egyptians. He released their debt to Pharaoh because, remember, he had all these quotas of bricks and all that stuff. And he gave them the promised land. And God is saying, if you understand that I have given you land, freed you from debt, and released you from slavery, then you ought to do it to one another. And so the Jubilee year was the command that show me you understand what I've done. And the the straw that breaks the camel's back, and I think it's it's in Jeremiah, I think it's 35 or something. It's that, I'm going into history now, but King Zedekiah, the last sitting king on the throne in Jerusalem, he saw the armies of Babylon coming on the horizon. He saw that they were going to be defeated. It was inevitable. He said, he turned to God, you know, for the first time. He's like, oh, shoot, we haven't been faithful at all. What do we do? And he realizes, hey, why don't we do that whole Jubilee thing that we were supposed to be doing all these years and we haven't done? And so everybody sets free their slaves. And they release all the debt and they give them back their land. And then after a couple of days, it, it says in Jeremiah, they all got sick of, you know, cleaning their own bathrooms and doing their own chores and stuff. And they're like, eh, we're going to go take our slaves back because we don't like this. And God actually says it's because of that. Ignoring the Jubilee command is one thing, but to actually make a Jubilee and then release your slaves and then take them back as though you have no idea what I've done for you is to show me that you really don't understand what I've done. Therefore, I'm releasing you back into slavery because you didn't understand the Exodus in the first place. So you're going to go back to Babylon to relearn the lesson. Mm. And that was the whole idea. How do you, so taking this back to the Exodus, how do you give thanks to the Lord? Well, you, you try to imitate him. You do the things for others that he has actually done for you. That was the point of the Jubilee year. That's what the apostles are doing. The Lord gave us everything. He poured himself out to the end for us. So we must pour ourselves out for those around us. We must try to imitate him. It's their answer to how do you give thanks to the Lord because he is good. And they do that. I don't know how that took us back to the Exodus, but it did. Everything goes back to the Exodus. Everything goes back to the Exodus. All right, have we started talking about the second reading yet? No. no. We should start talking about the second reading. I mean, big time we should start talking about the second <laughs> reading. 
Well, then there's only one thing to do. Okay, second reading, First John. We don't, uh, we don't as far as background of First John, we don't know a whole lot. Um, the, the, what we presume, what the tradition always stated, is that this is the same John who wrote the Gospels, who wrote uh, the book of Revelation. Yep. We don't actually know a whole lot about the recipients. We presume they are believers. They are people who actually do know Jesus. Um, but it, it's actually even the letter itself is left anonymous. So there's just not a whole lot that we know about it. But it gives us some very beautiful theology. And this is actually the section of First John that uh, brings out the whole concept. So, you know, the, what used to be my very least favorite phrase in the world, God is love, um, which sounds like a terrible thing to say, but I, I used to totally despise that saying really? because it sounded like a bumper sticker or a coffee mug with a rainbow on it. Yeah. It just sounded so trite. Oh, God is love. And I remember, and I'm sure this wasn't the reality, but I remember being little and going to like CCD or, or a religion class or whatever and asking these hard questions because I was a pain in the butt as a kid. Oh, I And I would ask these imagine. questions and be like, well... All you need to worry about is that God is love. It's a mystery. We don't know those things, but God is love. And I'm like, oh, if somebody tells me that one more time, like, what does that mean? And unfortunately, I didn't understand it. But First John actually has this profound, beautiful explanation of what it actually means that God is love, which is that it is the depth of his being, that God is communion, that he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that he is relationship, um, that he's all these things. It is the most profound, beautiful mystery of our faith. Not mystery in the sense of something that, you know, we can't solve and it's just mysterious and we'll never know. Yeah. But mystery in the sense that, like, you're reading a mystery novel and it's unraveled on every page. Yeah, and you're you get, learning you get more. progressive uh, yes. uh, information. Uh, insight. Yeah. yeah. It's not mystery in the sense that God wants to keep something. It's, God, it's mystery in the sense that God wants to reveal something. So we get to enter into this. And it's it's First John, really most of four, that talks about that. And that's where we get set up from our, for our reading this week. And so after Paul, uh, John goes in this beautiful explanation of, of, you know, if anyone says, I love God and he hates his brother, he is a liar. You know, how can you love the God you cannot see if you don't love the, God, the, the brother that you do see? That whole thing, which a lot of us have heard before, right? Yeah. And that takes us to chapter 5, verse 1, which says, Beloved, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is begotten by God. And everyone who loves the Father also loves the one begotten by him. In this way, we know that that uh, we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For the love of God is this, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, for whoever is begotten by God conquers the world. And the victory that conquers the world is our faith. Who indeed is the victor over the world but the one who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? This reminds me a lot of what I assume is the theology behind the first reading. Mm. Again, the way that we actually love God the Father, and live as children of God, and then love the other children of God, looks different in each and every one of our lives. But one of the things that First John assures us of is that our sacrifice, as we imitate Christ, is not burdensome. And that's even what Jesus said back in the gospel, right? My, my burden is easy, and my, or my, uh, my, uh, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And we have to believe that when we try to live like the apostles, to whatever degree we're actually called to, when we yeah. try to give freely, when we try to um, live in uh, what's the word? Um, I'm not I'm not tied to my things. I uh, I'm, I'm detached. Detached. When we try to live detached, and that's all that these readings are really calling it. That's all the first reading is is calling us to is detachment. This idea that if God were to so like the rich young man in the Gospels, remember, mm -hmm. what if Christ were to call you to give up everything you owned? Are you able to do it? It's not that we are all called to do it, 
But what if Christ were to ask it of you? I think about it in terms of military uh, military ideas. Okay. M- most soldiers spend the majority of their time at uh, on base or on hmm. in in preparation. Oh, good point. And and military life is about battle readiness. If you're not battle ready, you're not ready. Wow, good point. That's and, a good. I like this. And so when a mission comes, if you're not ready to say yes, I'm down. Then and if you don't have the skills and the ability and the attachment or the detachment to say I'm going to go and I'm going to lay my life down, then, then you've blown it. Then you've blown it, and you're yeah, not wow. you're not actually battle ready. And that's, that's it. That's the key of the Christian life is battle readiness in a certain sense. That's the key. In that sense, though, we should read that first reading again. If we're reading this, we should read the first reading, and we should start to shake a little bit. Not that oh geez I got to do that, but with the question wow. If God asked me to do that, would I be able to? It's kind of like the it Harlem should... Shake. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> not like that at all. But we should have the question of like, oh, what if God were to call me to that? Because he could, yeah. right? Yeah. That's what the first reading should do to us. Yeah. And then if we're shaking if a little bit, thinking, wow, could I? Do... I wonder if I could do that. I hope I could do that. God, give me the grace to do that if I needed to do it. Then that should take us to the second reading, which says, look, God's commandments are not burdensome. What are his commandments? I mean, he said that when Jesus was asked to whittle down the commandments, what he says is, look, the two commandments, the two most important commandments are love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Yes. That's the two greatest things. So how do you love your neighbor as yourself? Well, if you see, you know, someone struggling or a neighbor who's struggling or a poor person on the side of the road who doesn't have enough to eat, how do you love them as yourself? Do you just throw a couple bucks at them? Well, that's not how I would want to be loved. No. But you have to, it requires some thought, right? It requires some creativity, but it requires something. We actually have to act. And what the second reading is showing us is that, look, what you're being asked to do is doable. Yes. It's actually something that you can really accomplish, even if it seems impossible, because, and again, you know, this last line, uh, this is the one who came through water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by water alone, but by water and blood. As we reflect as a church on the baptisms that we've just celebrated the previous week, right? You are different now. You're not the same as you used to be. You have the grace to imitate Jesus and to live out those two greatest commandments. You really can do it. So these readings are meant to empower us in a very real way. Absolutely. Which takes us to the gospel. Gospel time. Yeah. Which is doubting Thomas. So well, well, that's part of it. He doesn't Oh yeah, he does show up pretty early on. Yeah, I mean <laughs> I mean the way everybody remembers this gospel reading is is by doubting Thomas. Didn't like, we What did we say last year? T Diddy? T Diddy. T Diddy. We, we called him T Diddy. Thomas, Thomas Didymus. Didymus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about T Diddy. T Diddy. Like it's it's what we experience is is uh is our ability to experience and perceive God. Um, you, you, you had an insight? Well, yeah. Put Thomas aside for a sec. Because okay. that, that is what we always focus on. But there's more to it. Excuse me. The, the way this reading begins, verse 19. Uh, on the evening of that first day of the week. So it's Sabbath. Sunday. Yeah. So on that evening, when the doors were locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, and John always has this kind of code link. John is a Jew. All the apostles are Jews. So these are Jews afraid of other Jews. So he's not, he's not anti-Semitic, but that's always the terminology he uses when he's talking about the people who are sort of against Jesus, right? Yeah. It says, while they were up there, and they were basically terrified 
of for their lives. They were terrified of sacrificing something, right? They were terrified they were going to be asked to do the kind of thing that Jesus was asked to do. It says that Jesus came and stood in their midst, and he said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw it was the Lord. And he said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. When he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, whose sins you retain are retained. This is after the apostles have already been ordained as priests, right, on Holy Thursday. Yes. It's when they receive their ordination. Now, as the church understands it, they receive the authority to forgive sins. They receive the sacramental um, authority of confession, of reconciliation, right, to Which go out. so important. It's the second time Jesus has said this, by the way. Um, but what what happens is they're terrified, right? Why are they terrified? Well, they're terrified that they might have to sacrifice in the sort of way that Jesus was. He shows up. He says, peace be with you. What he's doing is trying to calm them. And he says, when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Now, why would he show them his hands and his side? To prove that it was actually him. That's a part of it. To prove that it was actually him. But what would be on his hands and his side? Wounds. Yeah, big gaping wounds, which is funny that the risen, glorified Lord still retains the wounds, but he does. Yes. But they're terrified. They're up there. I'm speculating a tiny bit, but I think this is fair. They're up there in that room. They're scared that they're going to have to sacrifice. Jesus Mm. shows up, puts them at peace, and he basically says, look, I sacrificed, and it's okay. Wow. And I'm all right now. Yeah. It's not saying, no, you're not going to have to sacrifice. No, you're going to be fine. Everything's going to be great. Everyone's going to love you. Everything's super. He says, no, you probably will. But look, I died. I sacrificed. I have a big hole in my hands. It's okay. You can handle it. Yeah. That's what he wants to tell them. And that's, I think, what these grace-filled apostles in the, the disciples in the first reading now get. We actually can sacrifice. We can do the things that we thought would hurt. We can detach ourselves from the things that we thought we most needed to be comfortable because we realize we can take it. It's okay. Because Christ did this, because he gave us the grace, we can handle that pain. It's all right. Yes. And then Thomas shows up and we, we, you know, he doesn't buy it and he asks to stick his hands in Jesus' wounds and stuff. Which is really intense. Which is sort of to, to just to kind of put the topping on the cake. You know, it's putting that, uh, the icing on the cake. The topping. <laughs> the whipped <laughs> topping on the cake. Um, but I think that's the key thread that holds these together. Yes. Are you afraid of having to sacrifice? Are you afraid that mm. you might be called to do something like those apostles in the first reading? Yeah. By the end of these readings, by the last reading, Jesus says, look, you can do it. Yes. I got the holes. I'm yes. okay. It's all right. I'm passing through walls and stuff. I'm still eating fish. It's all right. You can do this. And I think, again, if these readings don't say anything else to us, what they say is the risen Lord looking us dead in the eye saying, you can do this. It's all right. You got it. Because I've got your back. I've breathed on you. I've given you my authority. You can go out into the world with the same authority that I have. You can get beat up because it's all right and you're going to make it through it. Because I've conquered all of it. Yeah. That's the message. Wow. I think. Yeah. And then Thomas sort of just just brings it home. Yeah, and, and that even look at that last. You just brought it home. Oh, bring I mean, it like, on. Bring home the bacon. That's, that's exactly it. And look at that last line. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. So there's other stuff, but I, I didn't yeah. write it down here. Says John. But these are the ones that are written that you may come to believe that Jesus is oh, the Christ, the Son of God. That through his belief you may have life in his name. Yes. And that by extension you might not be afraid. Yes. You don't have to be afraid because you have life in his name. Yes. And John says that's the point. 
Yes. And that's where you can now have freedom to go out into the world and do this. Man. And that's divine mercy. Yes. To to bring that back. What does it actually mean to have mercy? It's not that God is going to spare us from suffering, but it's that he's going to allow us to suffer well if we have to. Yes. Well, thanks be to God, man. You just you just brought it all together, man. Oh, You're my hero. Shucks. You brought it all together, and you gave me that gummy bear. That's what really That is exactly. It all. That's, <laughs> I had to work it, it through oh. in my <laughs> Well, God bless you all. We believe in you, and we are so thankful for your uh, uh, continued listening of mm. our podcast. Mm-hmm. We invite you back next week. Come on to back. Continue to join us uh, on the grand adventure of investigating the scriptures and dealing with the beauty that God has sent us weekly in mm-hmm. the liturgy. Indeed. We will be back next week. Send us an email. Send us a text if you have our number. <laughs> Find us on Facebook. And we will see you next week. Okay. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.